When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abuel Samad. So, Sam, we we have just a couple of things to cover because we're actually back at it on like a regular schedule. So now that I've said that, I've completely jinxed us. That's right. So it'll be another month before you hear from us again. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we have the Fourth no, of July. We can, we, can, we can do one next week. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, we're going to talk about what we're driving first. And uh, you know what? I'll switch it up. I'll go first this week. OK, I, I had a, I had a Kia Sorento SXL, um, which is a really, really solid midsize family crossover. Uh, I'm, I continue to be very impressed with it. Uh, the SXL is the highest trim, so it has the gaudy chrome wheels and the very nice um, leather interior that's fragrant, actually. Uh, fragrant leather interior with a diamond perforation do, pattern. Do you, know, do you know how they do those? The fragrance? The fragrance? Well, I mean, so the smell of leather, classically, the smell of leather is actually the smell of fish oil. But I, I don't know what automakers are doing. It's probably even even less... My, my friend Phil Berg actually um, did uh, a few years back. He did a story about a company that does a lot of the leather uh, for a lot of the different OEMs. And what they actually do is on the underside of the seat, they actually embed, they, they, they mount a little thing of some sort of fragrance. And, you know, they actually spend a lot of time with each OEM, like for each car line, you know, figuring out get getting the exact right smell that that the manufacturer wants for that, and so basically, there's it's it's like smell-o-vision. There's a little sorcery. There's a there's a, there's a no no sorcery. <laughs> just just a little container of some kind of thing with an aroma. Uh, you know what? Okay, I mean that's what I do think that they probably had some issues with the classical leather fragrance once tanning had to become more environmentally yeah, friendly I mean, once they stopped using you know chromium, chromium. in there and yeah. all, all all the other nasty stuff that they traditionally used in leather production yeah uh and I, that's why like the semi-aniline and aniline leather is just so coveted because it's dyed all the way through and to to dye a skin all the way through you've got to use some 
some solvents and penetrants yeah, and some, some some nasty stuff. Yeah. So um okay, well whatever they did, it smells good inside. The leather is <laughs> is nice to the touch. Um and you know, there's a lot of competition for families, you know, mid-sized family crossovers, but the Sorrento continues to impress me every time I get in it. Uh you know, first of all, I think it looks really good. That the styling team that Hyundai and Kia have working for them, we've said it before. It, they're so good, <laughs> so so good. I mean, it just it looks really classy and tasteful. Um, it's not too. It, the, the, I don't like the the chrome wheels, but other than that, uh, you know, the the shape of the Sorento is is clean and well proportioned and just tasteful. And uh, inside, it's it's more of the same. You know, the design is is clean and the ergonomics are good. It's easy to operate. Um, most of the stuff is right where you'd expect it or it's easy to figure out uh and all all the pieces line up properly and yeah yeah they did they've done a very good job coming up the learning curve uh when you think back to i you know 20 years ago kia's were in a sort of punchline yeah i mean when when kia was still you know um first coming into the u.s market in the mid-1990s you know they 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 first they had their first exposure to the u.s market in the late 80s um you know when ford owned a small stake in them and mazda owned a small stake in them and they provided the uh they built the original ford festiva which was based on a mazda design it was built in korea by kia you know and then after that you had the aspire which was the car for people who someday aspired to own a real car (laughs) um and then but you know then after that they you know uh they they kind of kind of went their separate ways from ford and mazda and started doing their own vehicles and wanted to enter the u.s market under their own brand and at, at that time uh, that those first generation of cars that they are vehicles they did like the first generation Sportage. Ooh, well, that was a scary car. Was it? So the Sportage was, yeah. I remember when it arrived on the market, I was, it was sort of late in my college career and, uh, it was inexpensive. I, yes, it, that's, that's about all it had going for it. It, it looked good. Um, it, I, overall, I mean, generally it, it, it two door was, was yeah. actually kind of cute. The four door looked a little weird. It presented pretty it's, well. It's proportions were not great. Yeah. Um, y- you know, it had a Mazda engine or a Mazda derived engine, if I recall. Yeah. Um, derived. yeah, derived, uh, th- they were that, what you'd expect for, you know, a sort of bargain SUV and SUVs were popular at the time, like traditional SUVs. So it, it right. had a niche. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, yeah. It, you know, it, it had a niche, you know, but you know, we, the, the company I was working for at the time, we were doing the ABS system for that car and, you know, I drove it, you know, before it, you know, before it went into uh, production, <laughs> before it was launched uh, on the market, you know, I had had some opportunities to drive it you know, you, on the track. Did you roll it? Uh, I did not roll it. Did you uh, almost uh, roll am- it? Amazingly enough, you know, in 17 years, you know, in engineering, I never actually completely rolled over a vehicle. I came very close a couple of times, always with vehicles that were built by Isuzu, but never, <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> Never actually rolled one over completely. Well, see, I've got a leg up on you. I I rolled a Fox Body Ford. <laughs> How the hell did you do that? I was seventeen and I was flying. <laughs> you must have been. Uh huh. Yeah. It's but, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, th- those 
that, that first generation Sportage was was pretty bad. Uh, well, then they that, had what did they have? The Sophia and the yes, that was yeah that was the, that was what they launched with the Sophia, which was their little compact car, and the Sportage, and then later they added on the the original Sorento and and started adding some more car, bigger cars. I'm trying to remember what the original Sorento was. Um, it, um, it was actually the, the first generation Sorento was actually a body on frame. It was not a unibody. Oh, yeah. You know what? I remember that now because I thought it was a really uh, like a throwback to the first generation Ford Explorer is what it felt like to me because I had one as a That's press smaller. car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe there was a couple of generations of Sorento like that. I, either way. Kia has definitely found their groove. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> at this point, like this is it's it's just a solid vehicle, and I, I was so um, sort of surprised by it. Which it's like it's not that big. And we were talking last week about you know how many three row SUVs in the sort of the the size class of the Outlander. This is it's a little bigger than the Outlander, but you know it's it's not. It's within inches, uh, not feet. Yeah, it's 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 close. Yeah, um, and it has a third row. And I, mm-hmm. I was I was like, I don't think it has it's a third row. A, it does. It's even it's even a, a you know somewhat usable third row for for smaller kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so just there are options out there. It's just it, it, in in this trim, it's it's really nicely turned out. And I, I was surprised to find out too that. Um, it's one of the few vehicles, that, I think the few vehicles in its class this year that did pretty well in the uh, new small overlap on the passenger side. So they, the, it's not, is it IIHS? I think it's IIHS that does the yeah, small it's IHS overlap. That does, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, when, they, when they, when they started doing the small overlap to, uh, rigid barrier test, um, they were only doing it on the driver's side because that, you know, that's actually, you know, the, the scenario that you're most likely to encounter in the real world, you know, this, this, for those that don't know, the small overlap test <clears throat> is, you know, instead of running the whole car straight into a solid barrier, you know, then we had the the 40 percent offset uh, barrier test, you know, where you basically hit the car, you know, just just left of, or just to the left of the center line of the car. The small overlap test is, is only about 20 percent or maybe it's 25 percent overlap. I think it's so 20. Basically, you're. So basically you're hitting it, you know, about where the headlight is, you know, so right in front of the wheel, you know, along the, along the fender line. And that's a really hard test to pass, you know, and do well in, you know, because it's, it's, you know, but, but if you think about it, you know, in the real world, you know, that's kind of the most likely scenario you're actually going to hit, you know, where somebody's kind of drifting over the center line of a two lane road and you just kind of, you know, kind of a glancing blow. Yeah. So it's actually a very realistic condition, but it's also really hard to manage the energy of that impact. And so they, when they first started doing it a few years ago, it was only, they only did it on the driver's side. Um, and so most manufacturers, you know, did some engineering, you know, added some structure on the driver's side of the car to manage that energy, the, the, the flow, the energy flow pass through the structure. Um, and now, but now, um, this year, uh, IHS started doing it on the passenger side as well. And there's a few vehicles that do okay on that, 
but um, a lot of them still are doing pretty bad. And the, as you say, the Sorento was one that actually did uh, did pretty well. Yeah, I think it's the uh, only vehicle in its class that has the top safety pick plus this year. So yeah. when you're considering this kind of vehicle, you're going to put your you know your loved ones in it. Uh, that's an important selling point. So I was I was impressed by that, and you know I didn't even think that with the the earlier small overlap test, it just it didn't make sense to me. And I mean, it does economically when you think about, you know, what manufacturers need to concern themselves with, that they would do it asymmetrically. So they're, they're not going to beef up both sides when it just has to do well on the test on one side. But it seems yeah, a little crappy to me, too. That's that's one of those unfortunate <clears throat> cases, you know, where, you know, it's you know kind of teaching to the test. Yeah. Um, you know, you set you set a standard and, you know. They, you know, the, man, the manufacturers will, opt, you know, will optimize to that standard, you know, in part because they, they're trying to minimize adding extra weight and, and extra cost to the vehicle. Uh, but, uh, you know, increasingly manufacturers are starting to deploy the same structural uh, uh, changes on both sides of the car, like the new the 2019 uh, uh, Dodge Ram or Ram, sorry, not, I keep wanting to say Dodge Ram. The 2019 Ram 1500. Um, that the frame of that one actually has been reinforced on both the driver and the passenger side. So they they did uh, do the the changes to address the small overlap test for both sides of the truck. And it's it, I guess it's to me it's a little strange that they're even that responsive to the IIHS tests because. They're just like an insurance sort of think tank. They're not really they don't make policy. They could shape help they, shape they policy. Don't, they don't make policy, but um, you know, there there's a couple of factors. You know, one, there's a significant marketing uh thing, you know, to being able to, you know, claim, you know, especially for family type vehicles, you know, to be able to claim that you got a top safety pick plus. You know, that's that is actually something that consumers look for, you know, is is ratings like that, you know, and five star NHTSA crash ratings. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, they if they can get those, you know, um, you know, manufacturers like to get those those awards and, you know, they'll they'll crow about them in the advertising. And, you know, the other factor is, you know, especially for IHS, um, it does factor in to the insurance premiums that, you know, when insurance companies are, you know, calculating, you know, the costs for uh, or the premiums for like collision coverage um, and, and other factors, you know, they, they do take a look at, you know, how they did and how the vehicles do in the crash tests and vehicles that do poorly in the crash tests. Uh, tend to have higher insurance premiums, and you know, so for again, for the for the manufacturers, you know, they're you know, for you know, for customers, you know, looking that might be looking at you know the total cost of ownership, you know, they they might be able to get a a, a particular model cheaper, but if the insurance rates are going to be much higher on it, you know, then that's going to tend to drive people away from it. So you know, it it helps in other ways as well. So there is there are some good you know business reasons for actually doing that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't mean to spend too, sort of too much time talking about a really kind of a a narrow facet of the Sorento. But I, it, it, that was an impressive thing that I, that I uncovered, especially with vehicles you'd think would do well on that test, uh, such as the Ford Explorer and the Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's two, you know, pretty, pretty solid sellers in that class, both doing if it's scoring at the bottom of the class. And, and part of that, I think, is because that selective reinforcement where they, they passed OK on the driver's side, but not on the passenger side, which was added in this year. And the surprising thing to me with that was 
the Ford Explorer is based on the original Volvo XC90, which was one of the very few vehicles when the small overlap was introduced in 2012 that actually didn't get clobbered by it. Uh, so that was just a thoroughly engineered uh, safety design from the beginning. Um, so when they forded that, <laughs> something something must have changed. Um, and uh, you know the the Grand Cherokee, like it, it it's a little disappointing. Um, on a you know sort of like a, I'm personally invested in that vehicle, but. I mean, I, I guess I understand, too. Um, this is, you know, don't hit stuff uh, and they're going to continue to get safer. So I'm glad that, you know, this this test is out there. I was talking with a, another auto writer who uh, doesn't put as much stock in the the um, the small overlap tests and stuff. And, you know, it's, it said, oh, they're, they're stupid tests. It's like, I don't know. That's what that's what people do. You almost miss stuff instead of like you know, the full head on or, or whatever, like, mm-hmm. you know, just, it, it, it is a, a thing that maybe is worthwhile to make sure that the cars don't, uh, don't hurt us, um, when they could be engineered. And I don't, don't want to say easily engineered, but they could be engineered to, to dissipate that energy. So, um, it's like fuel economy. It's like, yeah, c- continue making those better. Like just continue incremental improvements. That's that we all benefit from that. Um, but you know, in terms of, what else is out there in the midsize family crossover pseudo SUV kind of class? There's, there's a lot of choice. Um, the Sorento is one that I, I think is really worth anybody's while to look at. You know, if you're shopping, you know, I'm trying to think of like the, the usual suspects, right? You're going to look at the pilot. You're going to look at the Highlander. Um, you can, you're probably going to look at the edge and the, the terrain, um or the equinox uh you know there's like there's there's a ton of choices yeah exactly um the sorrento is one that i i think if any of those are on your list go look at the sorrento too uh partially because it's, it's just nice to operate it's an easy to use vehicle which is getting increasingly rare and it's not like you miss out on any of the tech it's all available and it's it's pretty Again, it's it's pretty well thought out, so it is it's easy to use even when it's teched up. Uh, unlike some of the others, that once you start adding crap to it, it gets real sort of complex. Um, and you know, it just it goes down the road well. So all of those factors, uh, like from the car guy side of things, as well as the like, I'm an auto writer. I've seen all of these jaded perspective, like the the Sorento. <laughs> I, I I like it. I'm impressed by it. So um, I've babbled enough. What are you driving? Um, I have the uh, the new Ford EcoSport, uh, which finally went on sale in January of this year, um, and uh, went went on sale I think in mid mid or late January. And uh, as they've been gradually you know getting all the dealers stocked up, you know it's it's actually been selling pretty well. It's been selling, I think the last couple of months it's sold about fifty five hundred each month. And so the the Echo Sport is uh, Ford's first stab at a B segment, a small subcompact crossover for the North American market. Um, they've actually this is actually the second generation Echo Sport, or well, depending you know if you count the mid cycle, the big the major refresh they did, you know maybe the third, but second at least the second major generation of Echo Sport globally. Uh, but it's never been available in North America before. You know, it's it's 
built in India. Uh, it was designed, you know, initially for the primarily for the Indian market and for other developed developing markets, um, like uh, particularly South America. It's it's always been popular down there as well. Uh, they launched it in Europe a couple of years ago, and and the Europeans. Uh, didn't take too kindly to it at first. Uh, they didn't think it was refined enough, uh, and so forth. Did did a quick refresh on that for the European market, and and those changes have also been incorporated for the U.S. market so version. It, it has continental manners now. Um, more continental manners. Well, <laughs> you know, for for example, you know, one one of the things that they changed, um, particularly when they brought it into Europe, um, or when they did the the quick update uh, after they launched it in Europe, was the location of the spare tire. Um, you know, the originally the spare tire was mounted on the tailgate. It was on the on the back of the. the <clears throat> excuse me. <coughs> it was mounted on the on the back of the tailgate, and you know, uh, European customers didn't like that, so they moved it underneath the uh, the cargo floor. Uh, went to a mini spare under the cargo floor, um, and they one of the things that's un, unusual about the. Um, the Echo Sport compared to most of the vehicles in this class, and in fact, most crossovers, uh, is it's it's actually got a side hinge tailgate. Uh, so the tailgate is hinged on the left uh, rather than being top hinged. Which, given the the height of the thing, you know, when when you stand back from the Echo Sport and look at it, you know, it it actually looks fairly tall because of its proportions, because it's pretty short. Uh, overall, and you know, has a fairly short wheelbase, and so it looks kind of taller than it is until you walk up to it. You know, I'm I'm five foot eleven, and the roof of the Echo Sport, you know, just comes up to you know barely comes up to my shoulder height. So it's actually not really that tall when you when you when you get up close to it. Um, so you know, doing a top hinged tailgate on that might actually be a, a little bit problematic. You know, just because of the height, you'd have to hint, you know, it'd have to go up pretty high. To, you know, so you can get underneath it. Um, but they, uh, you know, so they, it's it's hinged on the side, uh, which is a little unusual. And then, you know, for for the the North American launch, they did a completely new interior for it. You know, as part of this mid-cycle refresh, they did. Uh, so it's you know, it's one of the first Ford uh, vehicles in North America to you know kind of adopt this new approach of having the 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 main infotainment screen. Uh, you know, kind of standing up on top of the dash, you know, and kind of like a tablet, like we're seeing on most new vehicles now. Uh, and uh, the powertrains, um, they've got two 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 engines available for North America. Uh, one is the the one liter three cylinder EcoBoost, which is a pretty nice little engine. I really like that engine. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can only get that one with the front wheel drive Echo Sport. Um, so if you want all wheel drive, you have to get the, uh, the same two liter naturally aspirated engine that we've had in the focus for the last five years, which is, you know, it's, it's a fine engine. It's, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, it's not terribly torquey, uh, you know, and the, the echo sports a little heavier, uh, than the, uh, than the focus was. So, you know, it's not, doesn't have the most sparkling performance, uh, but it does. Okay. And, you know, they, instead of the, uh, the dual clutch, the, the much unloved dual clutch transmission that they've had in the Fiesta and the and the Focus uh, for the last uh, six or seven years, they um, went back to a normal uh, planetary gear uh, six speed automatic. Uh, so the the transmission works works nicely. It's nice and smooth. You know, you don't really notice the shifts. 
um, you know, under hard acceleration, uh, you know, you get some, some roar from the engine, but it's, it's not too, it's not too terribly bad. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the most sophisticated sounding, but you know, for, for the price point, it's, it's fine. Um, overall, you know, it, it works okay. You know, it's, it's fairly, you know, it's compact. It's easy to park, you know, cause it's so small, you know, it's, it's actually based on the Fiesta platform. Um, and you know, back in 2012 or so, 2011, 2012, when they were developing this, this generation of it, there were actually quite a few, um, mules running around, uh, Southeast Michigan here. Cause they were doing some, a lot of the development here in Dearborn. And so you'd see the, if you're driving around here, you'd, you'd see these high riding fiestas, you know, you had fiesta bodies sitting up you know, several inches taller than, than a normal one, you know, with some extended wheel arches. Those were the mules, the development mules for the Echo Sport, the second generation Echo Sport. And um, so, you know, it, if you're if you're looking for a compact crossover, you know, I, or a subcompact crossover, you know, I would say it's, um, you know, it, it's it's fairly competitive with most of the segment. You know, I think the, the driving dynamics are probably are not as good as like the Mazda CX three. Uh, but it does have a little more room than the CX three. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, the cup holders are actually accessible instead of being underneath the, the armrest that you fold down. Although they've changed that on the 2019 CX three. So that, that's not a problem there anyway. Um, I think the, the in terms of interior packaging, the the space you have available, the back seat's a little tight um, on the Echo Sport. It's it's better than the C the Mazda, but nowhere near as good as the Honda HRV. Unfortunately, the Honda HRV has you know a, a not not great powertrain combination. It has the the one point eight the old one point eight liter from the uh, the previous generation Civic and a CVT, and it's it was really disappointing. So, you know, it's it's like there's not really a perfect combination in here. Actually, probably the the best com- you know, the 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 best combination I've you know, I've driven out of all these subcompact crossovers so far is actually prob- I would say probably the Fiat 500X. You know, it it's kind of cool looking. Uh it drives well, uh has a nice powertrain. It's it's got a good combination of room and packaging. Um is the 500X is in the same class? It feels bigger. Yeah. No, it's it's not. I it's I really the, like the 500X. I I think yeah. it's it's a good good overall compromise, and, like you and, said. And of, and of course, as as good as it is, it's also probably one of the slowest selling models in the segment. Oh yeah, yeah. you can get you can get one of those for a song. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, the 500X is you know um, mechanically the same as the Jeep Renegade. And the Renegade sells like hotcakes and, you know, they can't give away 500Xs. Well, that's good, though, know. because the Renegade is not as good as the 500X, in my opinion. I know that it's uh, like the same thing, but for whatever so intangible reason, uh, because you can get the 500X cheaper. Oh, OK. Yeah, you, right. paying, yeah that makes sense. Not paying the yeah. Jeep tax and you get a, you get the vehicle that it looks better. I don't like the way the Renegade looks. Um you know, it it's just more pleasing to to be in and to drive. The Renegade is a little bit overly kitschy. Um, so yeah, so I, when I was going to ask you sort of where the the Echo Sport uh, fits I, in, I'd, say, I'd so. say the Echo Sport is kind of you know middle of the pack. It's not the best. It's not the worst. You know, I mean, I think most most of them. You know, they have some. There's some. There's some. There's some kind of compromise with almost all of them. 
you know, whether it's packaging or, you know, powertrain or, or whatever, you know, and I think, I think this one's got a reasonably good balance of everything. You know, it's not the, it's not the tightest, um, rear seat. It's not the smallest cargo area. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's a decent looking little vehicle, you know, it's kind of cute looking. Um, and, you know, it rides reasonably well. Um, the powertrain is not totally offensive. Um, you know, fuel economy wasn't wasn't great. The one I have is the the top of the line SES model, with the two liter and all wheel drive and and sunroof and everything. And I've averaged about uh, twenty five and a half over the past week. So you know, it's okay. It's not great. You know, there's others that do better. Um, but you know, it's 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 dec- It's a decent vehicle. And if you're looking for a crossover in this in this segment, you know, the small these smaller crossovers, you know, it's it's a reasonable option. I don't know that that's what Ford was looking for. <laughs> no. It was like, well, hey, you know, we, actually, we gave you um, a reasonable option. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I think, you know, they, I think they they recognized that, you know, this was not going to be a fully optimized vehicle, you know, because the original plan was this this vehicle was never supposed to come to North America. You know, when when they launched it in about, you know, this generation in about 2014, um, you know, there was there was never any intention to bring it to North America. And, you know, at that point, you know, the the subcompact crossover segment, you know, was still, you know, nascent, you know, it really hadn't taken off yet. And, you know, so they I mean, you know, I give credit to Ford for reacting, you know, to changes in the marketplace. They realized, OK, we've got something that that could do reasonably well in this segment that's that's growing really fast. And, you know, so let's let's scramble and and you know get it federalized so we can bring it to the US market so they have something in the marketplace you know and i think you know what what we have today really is something that's an interim thing i think you know as as we see it today we're probably only going to have this vehicle for another two or three years, uh, maybe probably three years, uh, because, you know, they're revamping everything, you know, especially all their utilities over the next couple of years. And, you know, there, there are, there will be other small utilities coming to the Ford lineup in the next couple of years um, that, you know, I think will probably be better, better suited uh, to the, to the U S market and, and just to the, you know, to the market in general. Uh, and I think there'll be better vehicles. And, you know, so this, this kind of tides them over until some, until the, the next round of vehicles arrives. Well, you know, now that they've launched the Equisport name too, the next one they bring is going to be, they're, they're either going to have to call it Equisport, um, which they probably should now that they've invested. No, in don't, it. don't, don't, don't count on that. I mean, you know, you know, I know American car makers, you know, they, they'll, they'll drop names, you know, at the, you know, at the drop of a hat, they'll come up with some perfume name as, uh, Bob Lutz calls it for it. Uh, <laughs> um, just, Although, you yeah. know, given that, you know, the, this echo sport is selling pretty well, you know, if it if if it maintains its sales pace, you know, th- they may well keep that that brand. Who's who's it selling to? Like, have they broken it out? I don't know. I haven't yeah. seen any of any demographic information yet. You know, kind of who's buying them. Um, you know, in general, you know, kind of the the, the B segment crossovers. Um, a lot of them are selling to to younger customers. You know, to a lot of them to millennials who are you know they're going you know because a lot of these vehicles are relatively affordable. Um, you know, and, you know, especially, and, and they make decent urban vehicles because they don't have a huge footprint, 
you know, so you get, you know, some of the, the packaging advantages of a utility. Um, you know, it, it makes a decent lifestyle vehicle, but it's also easy enough to manage in an urban environment. You know, you can park it relatively easily. Um, you know, you can maneuver it around, you know, congested streets. So, um, you know, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of younger customers are going for them, but also, um, you know, a lot of uh, um, empty nesters are also going for smaller utilities, either either B or C segment. So, you know, thinking cars like vehicles like the EcoSport and also the Focus, which is one size class up from from the EcoSport, um, you know, are increasingly popular among um, more mature customers. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, in both of those, I mean, I think both of those use cases make sense. I just didn't know if uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hertz or uh, the Enterprise family were purchasing some as well. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think. So. I don't. I mean, I don't think they're purchasing huge numbers of them. Uh, you know, I could. You know, frankly, you know, I think you know fewer and fewer people are actually renting cars anyway. I mean, that's that's a whole other issue. The the car rental business is, oh, yeah, is really you, struggling. You know, I didn't think of that. You know, a lot of, you know, increasingly, you know, when people travel, you know, instead of renting a car, you know, they're taking a, you know, using their ride hailing apps, you know, to get to get around, um, you know, especially if they if they don't need to be able they don't need to drive around a lot. You know, they're, they're using other options. Well, the car rental industry has a friend in me because I don't want to get in a car that somebody else is driving. I've refused to use Uber. And uh, yeah, <laughs> so there, there's that. Um yeah, all right. So I I get the impression that you you had a I don't know. I I guess like the the lack of like over superlatives makes me think that Ford hit a solid like you know solid hit up the middle with it, but it's not yeah. not a I mean, I'm not I was not overwhelmed, but I wasn't underwhelmed either. You know, it's you know kind of like the the um the Outlander plug-in last week, you know, uh, you know, it's fine. You know, it's it, it does it does it does what it's meant to do, and it you know it and it does it at a pretty reasonable price. I mean, the base price for the front-wheel drive uh, Echo Sport starts at just under twenty grand. Um, you know, a fully loaded SES, you know, takes you up to about twenty-seven. You know, that's about the, the most you can spend on it. And I think, uh, you know, the one I had, you know, was about twenty-six or something. Well, that's not that's not too bad. I mean, t- to me, everything's just gotten ridiculously expensive in the last ten years. So clearly, yeah, I'm that, that, and that's true. You know, uh, you know, it it doesn't. You know, the this one, you know, the one I had, you know, has the eight inch uh, touchscreen in there with Sync three. Uh, it has built in nav. I mean, you know, if you've got Sync three, you know, and you've got a smartphone, you can use you know Apple Maps or Google Maps or Waze anyway. So you don't really need. Um, those options, you know, you don't really need the built-in nav, but it's it's got built-in nav. It's got blind spot monitoring and a backup camera. It doesn't have lane keeping or um, or adaptive cruise control, but you know, it does have a lot of other features in it. Yeah, well, like that stuff is easy for them to add too. Like, uh, if at a certain point they feel like it needs to have adaptive cruise, and I'm sure that they can. They yeah, can I'm sure. Them. Yeah, I, I I doubt that they'll add adaptive cruise for this generation, just because you know I think this is going to be a fairly short model cycle for this particular generation. I think we'll see that in the next one, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see them add uh, camera-based uh, forward collision warning 
um, and automatic emergency braking, um, you know, probably maybe, maybe even for 2019 models, certainly by the 2020 models at the latest. All right. Well, maybe by then it'll be, it'll, it'll wow you a little bit more. I, I mean, to me, it's, it's like a, it's a funky little car that I don't know that it stands out enough. So like, I, I feel kind of yeah, well, bad. That, like, I mean, that, that is an issue, you know, it is an increasingly crowded segment. Yeah. You know, and now, you know, we also have, you know, Nissan's got its new kicks coming into this segment. I love you that. The, that's a, that's uh, a the Hyundai, cool Hyundai Kona. Oh, I forgot to mention the Kona. You know, oh, the no. Kona is another one that, you know, uh, it has, you know, an interesting style. Yeah. I know, really some, like the Kona. I yeah, think it's, I, I think it's pretty cool looking, especially in, in certain colors. Um, I, you know, I think it works pretty well and it, it drives, it drives really well. And I think, I think the Kona, I like, I prefer the powertrain in the Kona. Um, you know, you have, you have a two, you know, you have Hyundai's two liter, uh, DI four cylinder, uh, and you also have the optional, uh, 1.6 liter turbo. That 1.6 uh, turbo is a great engine. Yeah. Well, it, the, the, ver- you know, they have several versions of it. The version in the Kona, I think is about 175 horsepower. Um, but you know, even, even that one, you know, it's, it, I think it's a it's a much better powertrain than the uh, uh, than the the two liter that's in the Focus or in the uh, Echo Sport, um, you know. So I think that that is one you know the the Kona and the 500X are actually probably the two I would most recommend people take a look at in this segment. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Ford in terms of powertrains too, like you go to market with the engines you've got too. Like they don't, yeah, and they don't seem to have anything that's under in a four cylinder they don't have a smaller four cylinder than two liter do they, they? they have a they have a one five turbo uh that's in the um that's the the standard engine in the fusion now oh is they it had that engine for several years yeah clearly i haven't been paying attention oh. um huh neither is anybody else so well, yeah I mean, not alone. fusion for like oh yeah the fusion that exists for now it's a product in our lineup yeah, <laughs> actually, well, actually, the fusion's not going away anytime soon. You know, even though they announced that they're they're no longer developing most of the cars for their North American lineup, the fusion's actually going to stay in production for probably at least another three or four years. Well, they, they've uh, got it's a police car now, right? Like that's yeah, one of you the know, they've launched they've launched a police car version. Um, you know, and no, you know, they they've simplified the lineup. You know, they've they've got it down to about three dozen buildable combinations now. You know, of options, um, and you know they'll you know they'll just they'll keep tweaking it. Um, you know, you know do do a little something every year um, for another three or four years, and and then you know depending on what happens to the market, they'll either replace it with something else, or um, you know it'll just quietly fade away like the like the Taurus has. You remember the Taurus, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Has it, have they, do they still offer that? Or are they? I know they were supposed to be like um, sort of. Yeah, pr- production of Taurus is, I believe. Let me try to remember what the schedule was. Uh, Taurus production should be finished now in Chicago, uh, because they're uh, switching that plant over. <clears throat> or maybe it may, sometime in the next couple, if it hasn't stopped, it'll be sometime in the next couple of months. Uh, Taurus production will end uh, as they shift over, uh, retool that plant to do the next generation Explorer and the Lincoln Aviator. Hmm. Those are two that I'm actually interested in. The uh, <sighs> like the Taurus is the Taurus has this problem that I, it's not unique to Ford, um, but F- Ford has had this pattern uh, uh, especially with big cars where 
they just let them sit around and they don't update them. So the Taurus hasn't really been updated since 2010. Yeah. Well, when did it get the latest style? Is that when they, it got they, its last styling? They did a mid-cycle update in 13, I think, when it got the new grill, the, the hexagonal grill. Well, yeah, but I thought it also like that was a big change. So let's see. It launched in. We're going to go back now. It launched in 05 as the 500. And then that was around until 08, right? When they introduced the uh, Taurus with the, the new front end styling, new interior and 3.5 liter V6 and six speed auto versus the three liter and the CVT. I think it was either right. 07 or 08. Uh, it was it was for 08 model year. OK. And, and so, then two years later for 2010 model year. They completely redid the body. They dropped the the Mercury Montego. Right. They completely redid the body of the Taurus and gave it the shape that it has today. Holy crap! It's that old. It's eight it's years old. old. Yeah. Wow. Got, like I say, it got a refresh in 2013. Yeah. Uh, when not it got a big a new, one. New front fascia, but you know, it didn't fundamentally change the the design of the car. Well, and so part of the problem that they had was when they went from the the sort of 500 body shell to the current body shell it actually got smaller and so less space efficient yeah. lost headroom it lost it just it it got less easy to use like all the benefits of having a car that big were sort of wiped away by the the styling um and, and now that they haven't done anything to it for eight years <laughs> you know like yeah, it's people are going to forget now. Yeah, I you know, there's it, it, so think about that, like another car. We can we can use this to pivot into our our topic. So uh, that, that's a good pivot, even though I have more to say about Ford. Uh, but OK, so another car that launched in 2005 where it was the the Dodge Charger, the LX platform Chrysler's launched in 05. There's Actually, the Charger didn't come along till a couple of years later, because remember, they launched with the 300. It was the 300 and the, and the Magnum. Magnum. OK, so the, right. the the Charger came after. I thought it was 300 Magnum Charger altogether. No, the Charger came, I think, in 2007. OK, it was about two years after the uh, after the 300 and Magnum launched. Well, either way, uh, those that platform which was not new. It was very much the same as like a parallel path as Ford took with the Taurus taking that, that Volvo platform from the nineties the and redoing it. Um, Chrysler did very much the same. They, they took what they could. It was, a, it's sort of Daimler Chrysler joint effort. And so they used some Daimler here, some Chrysler there and, and made the LX cars, which are still with us. The difference is they haven't stopped tinkering with the LX cars and they continue yeah, I mean, to sell. They're still they're still fundamentally the same as they were, you know, 15 years ago. Um, but, you know, they have just kept tweaking them every year. You know, they you know, every couple of years they do, you know, some styling refresh. You know, almost every year they do some, you know, add, add something to, you know, add some tech piece to it. They keep tweaking the engines, uh, especially on the Dodge side. You know, um, what, four years ago now, they launched the Hellcat. Yeah. Um, you know, in the in the Challenger. And then they added it to the Charger as well. Um, you know, so 707 horsepower. Um, and they've they've kept fiddling with that thing. You know, last year, 
they uh, cranked it up again and uh, introduced the Challenger Demon, uh, you know, which took it to 840 horsepower and made it the first production car ever that could do uh, wheelies, <laughs> you know, on the drag strip. Uh, you know, cause it, it had, it had enough torque, you know, they, you know, along with the engine, you know, they, they had took the, the 6.2 liter Hemi V8, they put a bigger supercharger on it. They did a bunch of other, you know, they put, um, they, they, uh, upgraded the fuel system to deliver enough fuel to make that much power. Cause it, they, they didn't, they couldn't get enough fuel flow from the original system. So they put in, you know, dual fuel pumps in order to get enough to pump enough gasoline into this thing to make that power. <laughs> they added a drag pack, um, you know, a drag mode to the to the electronics, um, you know, upgraded a bunch of the the other uh, hardware to support the the load of you know drag racing. You know, because even though it's technically a street legal car, you know, it's built for the drag strip. You know, it's yeah. It, it, the the demon was you know if Ford did uh, a street legal version of the Cobra Jet, you know, it would be like the demon. Uh, but Ford has never done a street legal Cobra jet. You know, they've, those have always been track only cars. So the, the, uh, the demon, you know, was a limited production model, 840 horsepower. Um, they built 3,300 of them, 3000 for the U S market, 300 for Canada. Uh, just last week, they actually auctioned off, um, as a pair, the very last Viper and the final demon, um, at an auction in uh, new England <clears throat> where, the pair, the pair of those cars went for a million dollars, and all the proceeds went to uh, the United Way. They were given to charity uh, by FCA, um, and so now for 2018 model, um, they have taken most of the best of the Demon, and they've created the Challenger uh, Hellcat Red Eye. Right, and you know this because you were at the FCA What's New presentation yes. today, so. Um, I was there. I, I saw I saw the red eye. Um, it, for the most part, looks very much like the demon. It's got the wide body pack, although you can you can actually get it with the, the narrow body as well. So with the standard Challenger body or you can get the wide body version with the three and a half inches wider wheel arches, you know, to cover up bigger wheels and tires. Uh, and essentially it has the. Well, all the challengers for 2018 or 2019 get a new dual snorkel hood. Uh, so it's a redesigned hood. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then the, um, the the red eye basically gets the, the demon engine, which has a 2.7 liter blower instead of the 2.4 liter that's on the, <laughs> the, the regular Hellcap. That's so much air. <laughs> it is. Oh. Um, and but in the red eye, it only puts out a mere 797 horsepower and 707 foot pounds of torque. Uh, because without that, you know, full width uh, hood scoop that's on the demon, it can't suck in quite enough air to get all the way up to 840 horsepower. So that's basically the limiting factor, which means that what we're going to see is once the demons go on sale, we're going to see people basically buy, or once the red eyes go on sale, they're going to buy red eyes and they'll put an aftermarket hood on them and basically turn them into demons. Yeah. You know, they'll add the other, the other components that are missing from the demon and turn them into demons and take them to the drag strip. See but, Ford, see what you could have done with your Taurus. I don't know how you do it with that platform. There's no way it would support what, what Dodge has done, but 
I, but you know, there's certain there's certainly things you could do to to make it you know remain more or less relevant. Yeah, and they didn't they didn't do that, and that's it's the same sort of pattern that happened with uh, the, the Crown Victoria. It was like at a certain point they just they stopped trying, and they were just like, yeah, we make the thing like it sells X amount, and you know, it's, I I think the tourist Police agencies buy you know fifty thousand right. of them a year, and you know the tourist is the interceptor. We make so, a fifty percent profit margin on them, and <laughs> right, um, and a, a lot of departments. I think actually, what's really signed the death warrant for the tourists is when they have the the utility. They they have the explorer police vehicle. I don't even. Uh, uh, yeah, that's about. that's absolutely true. You know, when they when they launched the Taurus as a police car, you know, they launched uh, a, <clears throat> a version based on the Explorer as well at the same time, and the the, the Explorer police the police Explorer outsells the Taurus by I think about four to one or five wow. to one. Yeah. Well, because I mean. Crazy. You think well, about all the stuff in a cop car, like it makes exactly. Sense. You know that that's that's why um, you know that you know mo- modern you know um, police you know patrol vehicles. You know they've got to carry all kinds of radio equipment and emergency equipment in the back. And you know right. one of the issues with the Taurus, you know, just as you know with the with when they originally launched the Charger as a police car, you know the the reason why it didn't do better than it did, even though it vastly outperformed the um, the Crown Vic. The Crown Vic kept selling, way out selling the Charger, <clears throat> because the the trunk space was not as good. Yeah, you know, and it was harder to get all the equipment they needed, you know, to handle all the stuff they needed to do with a Charger versus the Crown Vic. And you know, now when you compare the Taurus to the um, to the Explorer, you know, you have the same problem. And that's that's exactly why you know for 2019, um, FCA has launched a police version of the Durango. To compete directly with the oh, Explorer. there's another one to look out for now. I mean, that, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to wrap up my my sort of tangent about the Taurus. Um, so what else did you see at uh, the well, FCA? Um, What's yeah, new? Steve Steve Beam, who is you know in charge of passenger cars for um, Chrysler and Dodge, was there. You know, he actually did the introduction of the the Red Eye. Oh, by the way, the the Red Eye goes on sale this fall. Um, it's gonna. They haven't announced final pricing, but it'll be around seventy thousand um, dollars. That's so cheap <laughs> for what it given, is. Given the performance that you're getting with this thing, you know, two hundred and three mile an hour top speed, uh, quarter mile in uh, I think ten three at one hundred and thirty one miles an hour. Uh, yeah, that's pretty cheap. Um, and you know, you, there's going to be all kinds of Mopar stuff that you can get to, to make it even faster. Uh, but the, um, you know, Steve Beam was, was asked about, you know, so, you know, at the, the, uh, FCA, um, five-year plan thing a few weeks back, you know, Dodge and Chrysler weren't mentioned. And so he was asked, you know, so what's the plan for Dodge? And, you know, he said, basically we want to keep Dodge is going to be the performance brand. Going forward, every Dodge vehicle is going to have a performance variant, you know, a, a strong performance variant. It's, it's and it's more about the muscle cars. So, like each of the the, the brands under the FCA umbrella, you know, is going to have their own distinct flavor. Uh, you know, so Dodge is you know more about the classic American muscle. Uh, you know, with with cars powered by Hellcats and who knows what else coming up, to, coming down the pipe. Um, and he said there is going to be more product uh, coming, you know, more replacements for some of the existing stuff. Um, but, it, you know, Dodge is going to be all about performance. 
And, you know, yesterday, um, you know, we saw Alfa Romeo and Maserati and Tim Kaniskas, who's now in charge of those brands. Uh, you know, he, he talked about, you know, what, what those two brands are, you know, Alfa Romeo is going to be, you know, the pure sports car brand for FCA, you know, so more, um, you know, uh, more sophisticated high performance vehicles, you know, like, like the Julia and the Stelvio and, and all the other new models that are coming, you know, going to exhibit, you know, same kinds of characteristics. Uh, and uh, Maserati is going to be the grand touring brand for FCA, you know, so it's their, their premium brand, you know, grand touring cars, you know, cars that are great to drive, but you know, that get you there, you know, fast, but in a relaxed way. Um, you know, so it's not, you know, the, the more hardcore, stuff you're going to get from, from Alfa Romeo. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, Maserati is the brand where we're going to see uh thing, you know, within the SCA umbrella, you know, launching a lot of electrification under that, you know, four new battery electric vehicles coming to Maserati over the next four years, uh, starting with the Alfieri, uh, which is finally going to replace the Gran Turismo. And I, <laughs> I drove the Gran Turismo yesterday. It's the first time I drove a Gran Turismo in 10 years. Last time was when I did a review of one for Autoblog in, in July of 2008. Same car. <laughs> same car, except now it has the uh, the Uconnect screen in there instead of the, the the really terrible infotainment or nav system that was in that car 10 years ago. But other than that, it's still basically the same car. Still sounds fantastic. You know, it's, you know, obviously getting kind of old, kind of long in the tooth, um, you know, relative to its competition. You know, it's still, it's, you know, it's not a terrible car, but you know, it, it still looks good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely not, not up to par for, you know, what customers in that segment expect today, but the new Alfieri is going to be available as a plug-in hybrid and as a battery electric version. Um, you know, and that, and you know, that whole grand touring idea is also why Maserati is where you're going to see the more sophisticated automated driving systems launching, uh, within FCA, you know, before they filter down to other, other models as well. So that's, you know, they haven't said this specifically, but that's probably where you'll see the first applications of a level four automated system, you know, where you can basically, you know, completely, you know, tune out of what's going on and just let the car drive you, uh, you know, and that, you know, that'll be for, you know, designed more for long distance trips, things like that, long distance road trips, um, you know, and that, I think that really fits in with that whole grand touring idea. Am I the only one who sees the the irony in a heavily electrified Italian car? <laughs> no, that's 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 you know I mean it's it's about the same as a heavily electrified English car, right? Um, yeah, I'm, maybe that joke is tired, but it just strikes me as like. Oh, okay. I mean, but like the alphas we've but, seen, you know, from, from talking to people who drove the Jaguar I paced in the last couple of weeks at the media drives in Portugal, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I, you the, know, I have, I have a feeling that they're going to do some really good stuff because you know, the, the thing is while FCA has not been a particularly strong proponent of electrification, that's been more from a business standpoint, not necessarily from a technology standpoint. Um, you know, I mean the, the Fiat 500 E it's actually a really good little car, a really good little EV. And I think it's actually the most fun version of the 500 to drive. Uh, it's just, you know, they lose a ton of money on every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that 
holds true is like driving the EVs and actually cars that are, you know, they gain an EV version. Generally, they're okay. You know, it's just the heart isn't in it for some of these automakers. So they're kind of getting dragged, kicking and, and screaming into well, and, it. And- and this is why, you know, we're, we're what we're seeing now, you know, in this new plan is FCA, you know, kind of taking a similar approach to what, you know, the, the German premium brands are doing with targeting electrification, um, not so much purely, you know, not, not trying to get the customers that, um, uh, you know, that just that want to be green, but rather you know, positioning it as a performance enhancer. Well, yeah, because those green people are cheapskates. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't want to buy anything. But the, the performance people, on the other hand, will pay. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, and if you can if you can take a plug-in hybrid and rather than, you know, uh, set up the performance level so that it's comparable to your baseline car, but, you know, is a lot more efficient, kind of put it, you know, as, as a step up that's, you know, much, you know, much better performance Oh, and it's also significantly more efficient. Maybe not the maximum efficiency you could get out of the system like that, but much more than you get from the standard system. And when you do it that way, you can charge a much higher price point for it. Those customers will pay a premium to get that performance enhancement, and that covers the extra cost of the system. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, to note like where uh, everybody is with the... Um what is it, the tax credits, the $7,500 credit? Like, there, there's been enough cars sold that some of those are actually nearly exhausted for particular models. Um, yeah, I mean, te- Tesla's about to start their phase out on that. Yeah. Uh, Ford's yeah, not far and, behind either. Like, the Fusion, I think the yeah, Fusion's Ford, still enough. Ford will probably hit it uh, probably in Q4 of this year. Um, GM probably sometime later in third quarter. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, what are they going to do uh, when that hits? Um, I, you know, I don't know what that means for prices, because that's one of the biggest selling points of the EVs. Well, you know, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, um, Ford, you know, for the new uh, battery electric crossover that they're launching in 2020 is going to be market. It's going to be a performance vehicle. It's not going to be it's not going to be a replacement for the Focus Electric. You know, it's going to be a vehicle that is targeted, you know, at, um, you know, at Mustang GT buyers. You know, it's they're going after the the Tesla buyers, you know, that are that want uh, a more premium performance electric vehicle. And so that's that's why they're you know, that's why they you know hinted at possibly calling it the Mach 1 or something similar to that. Um, you know, I think it. Because they, you know, they know that you know they're going to be out. They're definitely going to be out of tax credits at that point, uh, and so you know they they have to figure out how we're going to sell these things profitably, um, you know, on their own merits. You know, how we're going to get people to buy these things, and that's one way to do it. Yeah. Um, so we we skipped around a little bit. Did did we cover everything about uh, what you picked up at the the FCA? Uh, what's uh, new? Because you talked with, or you didn't talk about you. You were a fly in the wall when Tim Kaniskis was, uh, was yeah. chatting, um, and we talked about what Steve Beam said, uh, where the brands fit. Um, they talk at all about Chrysler. <laughs> um, 
Chrysler's are, Chrysler's are still products in their lineup, uh, <laughs> as Tim, Tim Cook would say about the Mac Mini. Um, uh, you know, they no, they didn't really talk about anything new for Chrysler. Um, you know, I think they're they're starting to gain some traction with the uh, the Pacifica plug-in hybrid, um, especially thanks to uh, to Waymo, uh, who are you know committed to buying a whole bunch of those things. You know, they uh, they've ordered up to sixty two thousand of them. Uh, and so they, you know, they will probably be the primary customer for those vehicles over the next couple of years. Um, and you know, they'll probably be buying more than anybody else. Um, so yeah, no, they haven't, they haven't really talked about it. You know, there's a little bit of hinting that, you know, there, there might be something else coming from Chrysler, you know, possibly, uh, a crossover on the uh, Pacifica platform. Uh, but that's, that's really about it for, for the Chrysler brand. Um, you know, the 300 is, you know, like the charger is uh, still there. Know, it's, it's still there. That's, yeah. They're still selling them. They're still making money on them. Uh, they're still tweaking them. You know, there's no Hellcat in the, in the 300, but you can get the, the 6.4 liter Hemi naturally aspirated, you know, in the SRT, uh, which is still plenty. You know, I mean, you know, you're talking 450 horsepower, I think in that one. Uh, so, you know, there's plenty of performance to be had in the 300 as well. Um, you know, and they, you know, they keep tweaking those and, you know, adding, adding some driver assist features and things like that. You know, the thing, the things that the market is expecting and, you know, they'll, they'll just keep doing that. Uh, the one, the one other thing, you know, that I think was, uh, somewhat noteworthy today, I had a chance to spend a little bit of time in the two liter, um, Jeep Wrangler, um, oh, how which is that? just now finally going on sale. Uh, so that's the, the two liter 48 volt mild hybrid. Um, it was good. You know, I mean, you, you really don't feel the system at all. You don't really notice at all, you know, that there's anything unusual about it. And it's got plenty of performance. Uh, you know, it's, it's plenty quick. Um, I had a chance to drive it on the off-road course and what, <laughs> you know, what, one thing that's, that's interesting, you know, about driving a Jeep, especially a Wrangler, uh, off-road, you know, when, when they say four wheel drive low, they mean low. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, know. it's like a 27 to one reduction. Yeah. So, you know, just to, to give you an idea of what that really means though, you know, in third gear at 13 miles an hour, it was go- spending 5,000 RPM. Yeah. 13 miles an hour yeah. in third gear. I mean, you, you, but you need that kind of precision when you're oh, absolutely. Calling. Yeah. No, I mean, when you're, when you're going through the really rough stuff, you want that kind of, really precise control. And in fact, you know, they, they did some extra work on the new Wrangler, the JL Wrangler, uh, you know, on the control of the, of the, the accelerator, you know, and how it responds when you're in four wheel drive low to give you that extra level of precision, uh, you know, to, so you can control your speed in all those different conditions. And, uh, it, it works really well. Yeah, it no, goes anywhere. Nobody got you know, stuck. And, <laughs> no, nobody, nobody got stuck. You know, they, I mean, they had, you know, all the Jeeps out there on the off-road course, you know, from the Renegade all the way through the Wrangler, uh, the Grand Cherokee, the Compass, uh, the regular Cherokee. Um, you know, they, you know, all the, when they, when Jeep puts a Trailhawk badge on one of their vehicles, I mean, you may complain about the idea of, you know, front wheel drive unibody crossovers with a Jeep badge, but you know, and the the reality is most people buy, you know, the more mundane versions and just drive them around town. But, you know, if you get a Trailhawk version and you can get Trailhawk versions of every Jeep, if you get one with a Trailhawk badge on it, 
that sucker will go pretty much anywhere. Um, I mean, there's, there's places, you know, uh, there's places where only a Wrangler will go that none of the others, you know, will be able to tackle, but you know, and pretty much anything, you know, any normal human being is likely to encounter, um, you know, you're, the, a trailhawk jeep is going to get you where you need to go yeah well, one thing way back with the the first patriots was uh if you equipped it properly it would leave a lot of more serious rigs uh in the dust uh, oh yeah off-road and and that was because there's no reason why an off-road vehicle has to be like a traditional jeep you know it, it can be unibody it can be front-wheel drive based you know just it's it's how it's it's designed to handle the terrain when you put it in that four wheel drive mode. And, you know, the, those, those littler Jeeps, the car based Jeeps, they still have, uh, you know, two speed transfer cases and you can lock the four wheel drive system when you equip them properly. And like, like you say, in Trailhawk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When you get the Trailhawk versions, you know, they're the all wheel drive, the four wheel drive systems they put on there, they all have four wheel low, locking differentials, you know, available and all this stuff. And, you know, you, you just, you know, put it in those modes and it just goes wherever you point it. Yeah. That's why we like them here in new England. Cause they go wherever you point them in the snow until they don't. And then they go wherever the hell they want. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you had the wrong tires. Well, um, that, that's obviously, you know, a, a, an important component. You got to have the right tires on there. Uh, but you know, the other thing I drove on the, on that same off-road course with the Jeeps is the, uh, the new, uh, Ram 1500 rebel and also the, uh, the 2500 power wagon. And, uh, those things can do, you know, go pretty much, you know, we're almost wherever the Wrangler can go, but through sheer brute force. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the rebel too, like, cause they're selling, they're still selling right now. The, the 2018 rebel right like the only uh no i don't think you can get the 2018 rebel anymore oh has it flipped now to to only because that was the last yeah. time i looked um the only 19 truck you could get was the 1500 um and so like those special trims were still the well you I mean you, you know they yeah i mean they had the the, the rebel is, is always on the uh the fifth it's always a 1500 it's not right. a heavy duty right but i mean um, the the um they didn't offer a 2019 rebel the last time i looked it's been a little while so um no is that coming it, soon it, okay well i mean i when i did the the drive in arizona in march you know they had rebels there and i drove them again today oh yeah you know, different yeah. environment i'm just uh, i'm, I'm thinking and the, more and the thing like, about the rebel this time you know last time it was only available with one engine the with the v8 engine or maybe it was a v6 actually it was i think it was, a, I think it was the pentastar last time uh this time you'll be able to get it with all of the engine options so you'll be able to get it with the uh the Panastar, the uh um 5.7 liter hemi or the uh the new diesel will be available uh right. with the uh with the rebel so that it's not like as much as we've sounded the sort of death knell for chrysler and or fca you know all the brands it sounds like there's still stuff going on and they're going to be a viable automaker for at least a little while longer yeah you know i mean we're, you know, we're not going to have an overnight transition to, you know, shared autonomous vehicles, you know, so, and, you know, even when that does happen, you know, I think, uh, FCA still got a, a plan to at least, you know, keep selling Pacifica hybrids to Waymo and Voyage and anybody else that wants a good platform for a robo taxi. Yeah. And look, I mean, they've already got nostalgic, you know, nostalgic cars. So when we're all nostalgic for cars, when we're, driving, right. you know, getting driven around in the 
mandated pods, I, they'll they'll be right in there. Um, you know, one of the things that could really affect not just FCA but everybody, uh, and that's sort of been another kind of topic over the last uh, couple of weeks are the the sort of the the tariffs that are either proposed or going into effect already, um, where all the automakers and basically any any real big manufacturing concern uh in the u.s is is pretty worried uh to the point where you know harley davidson has said that you know we're going to move production over to some production over to europe which has caused a big kerfuffle but at the end of the day um they answer to their shareholders first yeah I mean, you know for <laughs> for harley you know it's a matter of you know if we if we impose tariffs you know on other countries they're, you know, they're immediately going to respond with, you know, similar tariffs on our products. Um, and, you know, it it's becomes this escalating thing. You know, if, you know, if the people doing it are idiots, uh, it just keeps escalating. <laughs> well, and that's like, uh, it's the whole, you know, go ahead. And and so, you know, if that happens, you know, if they, if, if Europe puts big tariffs on American products, the only way that, you know, a company, an American company can viably sell products over there is to build them over there. Right, just at a time when all the American brands have wound down their their European arms. Um, well, not, a, not. I mean, GM did. Yeah, G, but Ford doesn't really have a huge presence. Over, yeah, they do. Do, do they still? Got, I oh yeah. They, okay. Yeah, they still got a big presence there. <laughs> yeah, GM is kind of quietly like leaving everywhere. They're <gasps> selling off their their operation in Vietnam, and uh, they. I mean, Australia, they sort of blinked out and uh, they're they're not, you know, they sold everything off to PSA. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, I mean, um, Harley Davidson's not the only company, you know, that has there's responding to these tariffs. You know, uh, Toyota came out a few days ago and said, you know, we we ran, you know, we did the calculations and, you know, based on the, the tariffs that that uh, the administration wants to impose, um, the the cost of a new Camry would increase by eighteen hundred dollars overnight, and you know that I mean that's that's insane. You know when an an eighteen hundred dollar increase, you know, without adding anything to it. I mean, it's just you know to pay these tariffs on some of the parts that come in, and the the Camry, you know, has for many years now been the you know it's had the it has the highest content highest american parts content of anything built here well that's you know, yeah get all all the camrys are built here in the u.s they're you know they're built in what? in georgetown kentucky and in a couple of other plants you know all virtually all the camrys that toyota sells here are built here by american employees you know using mostly parts coming from american parts plants but you know there's enough um, you know, imported materials coming in, you know, and steel and aluminum mainly, uh, that it would raise the price of the cars by $1,800. I'm surprised it's not more. Um, and it, it maybe this is just the first step and given well, I, what I, else and happens. I think, I, think the, I think the only reason why it's as low as it is, is I think it's, it's mainly just, you know, on those raw materials that are being brought in to make some of the parts. Because like I said, most of those parts are actually being built by suppliers here in the U.S., you know, by companies like Denso and and others that you know have factories in this country built, you know, and shipping parts to to Toyota, um, you know, to Toyota's factories here. 
you know, and, you know, we've also heard, you know, from, from some of those suppliers, you know, uh, the, uh, the new CEO of, of ZF, you know, is, is uh, calling on negotiators to reach an agreement, you know, trying to prevent a trade war because this is going to be a significant threat to their business. Uh, you were mentioning earlier the CEO of a Canadian supplier called Linamar. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, uh, you know, is, you know, similar, similar position, you know, that this is, this is going to be a major problem. And, you know, there's estimates that, um, you know, if these, if these, if all these tariffs go into effect, you know, it could ultimately cost, you know, over 600,000 jobs in the U S. Right. And I, I don't think that's, um, hyperbole. I, I think that there's a lot of, um, short sadness and actual ignorance. You know, I've seen commentary like people don't understand that, you know, BMWs and Mercedes are built here. And uh, they also don't understand that uh, the reason why um, you've got Toyota in Texas building pickup trucks and Nissan in, in Tennessee doing the, the same. I think they build them in Tennessee, uh, but they have an engine plant there, too. Like those things are here the, because of our Nissan's, tax. Nissan's Smyrna assembly plant is actually the the highest volume assembly plant in North America. Really? It's, and it's the, it has a capacity of over 600,000 vehicles a year. It's the biggest in North America. That's crazy. Like, what do you think is going to happen? So that's, that's just the, the, the steel and aluminum tariffs, which, you know, we've, if we're going to do those tariffs on steel and aluminum, Canada is going to respond to protect themselves because the, it's sort of the first knee jerk reaction for any of those. And it, it is a problem. Emphasis I, I understand. On the word jerk. <laughs> I understand that dumping is a problem and that overproduction and, and other, you know, especially uh, from, from China is an issue, but, it, but you know something, you know, you know who dumps everybody uh, does. Yes, of course. And, and the, the blunt force wave around it is just, you know, we're, well, we'll see how it works out, but everybody's a little bit on edge. And, and I think, you know, rightfully so, because, you know, Canada has to move to protect itself so that these, you know, other suppliers in China aren't dumping into Canada as a way to bring it into the U.S. Um, you, you know, like there's there's a whole lot of of ins and outs here. But yeah, um, I think uh, what's her name? Uh, Linda Hasenfratz, uh, who, like you said, is she's the CEO of, of Linamart. You know, her take on this, that the, you know, the tariffs are the final step to economic disaster. And I don't think that that's hyperbole. I do think that um, manufacturing has a big footprint in the U.S. And, you know, auto, the auto manufacturers feel it maybe the most acutely, but think of everything else that, that is still made here. There is still a lot of manufacturing in the U S and you, it's, it's a lot of industries. Um, you know, we saw, what was it? A nail company. Uh, yeah. it's saying like, Hey, we can't, can't get the raw materials. It's not like you can't get nails that are made elsewhere. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to sink. Like we're, we're done. Um, that, so that's going to be an issue. And it, it, doesn't take long for that to snowball 2008 was was hairy enough um and, and so like when we continue to just you know shoot every single toe on the foot off <laughs> I, I mean i can laugh about it now but i don't you can't balance anymore and you fall over yeah i'm not I, I mean it's the same thing with with like the housing market um you know looking around for for houses and and that's especially uh an issue here in in massachusetts where the houses are just brutally expensive um 
there's been articles that saying like, yeah, inventory. A, there's no inventory, but what is out there in terms of the housing market is just getting more and more expensive. And uh, it, now housing starts are down and it's more expensive to build new houses because the cost of lumber is up because of tariffs and the cost of lumber, the cost of nails, the cost of right. everything. Uh, and the labor pool is decimated because they're either hiding or they've left or they've been detained. Because, yeah. like, uh, you know, you look around at who builds the houses and it's a, it's a lot of very diverse backgrounds in those those construction crews. Uh, so, yeah, it's not just cars. It's a lot of different industries. And so <sighs> I'm a little stressed out. <laughs> and I think Harley is like the canary in the coal mine. Har- Harley is taking action because they're a much smaller concern. And, you know, you're going to see the smaller ones go first. They're either going to make moves to protect themselves or to continue their business or they're going to fold. And and then, right. you know, the, the big the big companies have a little more buffer to work with. You know, Harley's been struggling a little bit anyway. Yeah. So they can't afford to to lose more sales, you know, because of this kind of nonsense. Um, you know, other, you know, bigger companies, you know, they've, they've got a little more, uh, time to play with. They can, they can be a little more patient, um, but you know, they're not going to be patient for, for very long. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I've, I've reached the edge of my expertise on tariff, so I'm going to shut up now about it, but, uh, (laughs) Uh, do things are, I feel Once like that ever stopped us before. Yeah, that's true. I just feel like things are going to get more expensive. I mean, even the cost of fuel is up. We're, we're, we're quickly, uh, we're quickly going to be in trouble. I don't know how that's going to end. I'm nervous. I'm snapping at people. I'm just, I'm, I'm on edge all the time. It's great. <laughs> uh, so on that happy note, <laughs> um, did we have any feedback from anyone or are we sort of, uh, uh, have we confused everyone with our variable schedule enough that they don't I, wanna... I think I think we've confused them. I think there were one or two emails somewhere, um, but I don't have them handy. So we'll try to address those next week. Yeah, we'll look for them. We'll actually find them and dig them up. But uh, yeah, thanks for yeah. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. I think we should we should wrap it up and then we'll come back again and do another one next week like we're supposed to. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.